Welcome to another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. We are without our intrepid host, Jordan Schusterman, who was on assignment covering the postseason. Tough job, but someone's got to do it. So uh, myself, Jonathan Mayo, and Jim Callis will somehow manage to hold down the fort without Jordan. I think I think we can muddle our way through a podcast episode, Jim. Yeah, I think we I think we could do that. It's a, we need to keep track. Like I don't. We, it seems like one of us is always traveling more often than not. I I think we wind up doing two man podcasts rather than three man podcasts. Uh, at least it seems fifty fifty. So I'm sure we'll be fine. It does. It and when we do have the three of us, it feels a little crowded. You know, sometimes. So, uh, uh, so uh, I know you are out in in Arizona, uh, currently running around uh, the the fall league. Um, how many times have you gone to Blimpy so far? Um, I've only been here. I've been here. This is my third full day. Uh, I've been to Blimpy's twice. I will not be going to Blimpy's today. It's, it's kind of my go-to as an early breakfast slash lunch before going to the twelve thirty games. Uh, and I've been driving to the side, so I, I will not be going to Blimpy today. Uh-oh. But uh, but twice so far. Okay, that, I think that's a pretty good ratio. You don't want to overdo it. That's true. That's true. It's it's like a good quick. Like when I have to like drive to the west side, I can get something to eat real quick before I, I head over there. There so. you go. There you go. All right. My, my I still do. My Blimpy addiction dates back to my time in college where I was definitely a Blimpy guy at the University of Georgia. I uh, I remember, uh, you know, being out in the – there's the Blimpy right near Salt River Fields. And that whole area went up and there was a Blimpy there. And I didn't – honestly, I didn't know Blimpy still existed. I, I thought they had gone out of business. So – they, they had a downturn. I was actually Googling it while at Blimpy's the other day, and uh, they, they had a downturn at the first part of the decade, and now are kind of holding steady. So. I figured Subway had kind of stomped all over them, but I guess not. Uh, anyway, this week's podcast brought to you by Blimpy. Yes, we still exist. That would be good for me. We, we need a Blimpy sponsorship. <laughs> Let's, we'll, get, we'll get on that right away. That will be an off-season goal. Uh, you know what? I'm going to put that on my, uh, my employee evaluation, that that's something that we, that we have to do. There we go. Anyway, so obviously, uh, lots going on baseball wise. Let's start at the big league level. I know we don't we don't spend a lot of time talking about the big leagues, but uh, the postseason is is happening right now. I mentioned uh, that uh, that Jordan was uh, covering the playoffs for us. In fact, uh, we, as we record this, both wild card games have been played, um, and we're looking ahead. Uh, and uh, taking a look, you know, we had a story this late last week on sort of how the teams were built. Um, you know, Jim, you kind of put together the the, the intro to, uh, to this, and we each you know, did teams of ours that were playoff bound. Um, anything that really stood out to you, uh, you know, either as an outlier or a trend in terms of how these postseason rosters have been pieced together? I don't know if there's... You know, I, I feel like we, you know, we, we alternate writing the lead to the story, Jonathan, and I always kind of rely on the old, there's more than one way to build a playoff team. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing. I don't think there's any set method to, to putting a playoff team together. Uh, you know, you, you, looked at the, you look at the two best teams in each league, and the Dodgers had more homegrown talent than any club, which surprised me a little bit because you would think, you know, at least to the beginning part of the decade, the Dodgers had the highest payroll in baseball, but, you know, I, you know, it's interesting to me. They had 15 homegrown players on their team, even though they can spend money with anybody. And for a team as good as they are, you know, they obviously won back-to-back pennants and are favored to win a third. 
pretty amazing, you know, all the playoff, uh, you know, all the rookies on their playoff roster. Gavin Lux came up, you know, at the end of the season, made their playoff roster. You know, Will Smith took over their catching job at midseason. They've had guys like Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin, uh, you know, rookie pitchers who, who made, a, made a, a, a big impact. And you look at all the young talent they brought up in recent years, you know, Cody Bellinger, Alex Verdugo, Walker Bueller, who's going to start game one and on and on and on. It really speaks to what a great job they're doing in terms of player development. And then you look at the, the best team in the, in the other, in the American league, which would be the Astros. And, you know, they kind of had, you know, maybe the most blended approach or the most balanced approach. You know, if you, if you look at the quality of the players they got, it, it's somewhat evenly divided between homegrown players and trades. And they've also done really nice free agent wise. You know, they, they, the thing that's interesting is they've got four, players on their team who were either number one or number two overall draft picks, you know, Alex Bregman, who was their own pick, Carlos Cray was their own pick, and they traded for Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole. Um, you know, they, they found Jose Altuve and Yuli Gurriel in the international market. You know, they made a lot of nice trades, including stealing Jordan Alvarez from the Dodgers before he even made his pro debut. And, and then even free agents, you know, not any big, super big free agent investments, but they've made some really nice deals for guys like Michael Brantley and Robinson Chirinos. And, you know, you, you, you look at this stuff, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting things. I mean, you would have thought, you know, I know you do the Braves system for us, Jonathan. And if, if you had asked me, I would have said, oh, you know, the Braves done this great job of developing talent. And the Bra- and a lot of it are guys they trade for. But it's interesting. The Braves actually have fewer homegrown players than than any playoff team, which really surprised me. Yeah, that, that surprised me the most. I think that was when that and the uh... – and the fact that the the A's, who are now no longer in the playoffs, had so few homegrown players, um, but the Braves really stood out because you know we, we spend so much time talking about their farm system and how deep it is, and they always rank highly. And that they only had four homegrown guys uh, was was surprising to me. Now the two, you know, the the four provided almost half of their team's WAR for the year, so. Those homegrown guys are key. I mean, we're talking Freddie Freeman, Mike Soroka uh, from the draft, and Ronald Acuna and and Ozzy Albies from internet from the international front. But it's a little surprising, um, you know, that they that they didn't have more uh, because yes, they've traded prospects away, but they haven't traded their like top prospects away. Um, you know, a guy like Dansby Swanson, they got when he was prospect you know he was in the minors so they they in some ways I always feel like that almost should count uh because he had he'd only played one summer of pro ball uh and they certainly get credit for helping him develop but uh you know I think it's definitely the kind of thing where um that was the 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 big surprise to me that they only had four home run guys and then 12 trades and of course you know the the Josh Donaldson pickup which seems sort of like it was a a one-year filler and he ends up being arguably the most productive player on the team. Yeah. You know, it's, you mentioned Dansby Swanson. I think the reason they feel like they should be more homegrown is, you know, they have four guys who count as trades who they really trade for as prospects. You're not just Swanson, but also Sean Newcomb, uh, Mike Fulton Evitz, and Max Freed were all prospects they traded for. So they don't get credit as those guys being homegrown Braves, but it just feels like they, they kind of should be, you know, you, you, cause they didn't play. I don't think any of those guys played the majors with any other club. What else, anything else stand out to you uh, about, you know, 
when you when you were looking at the teams yeah, who wrote for this? I didn't have uh, as many. I mean, you know, it's, I, I guess it, you know it was not surprising that the Twins had a lot of homegrown players. Um, fourteen, at least based on on the uh, you know the tentative playoff roster, and that's without you know Byron Buxton's out for the year, so he would have been a a, a key guy. Um, I think that they've done such a good job of maintaining that homegrown core that they need to do, you know, in a small market and then making those like just very quiet, but really solid acquisitions, whether it's picking up Nelson Cruz as a free agent and he evidently doesn't age, like he can still drive in runs and hit homers and, and then getting, you know, Jake Odorizzi in a trade doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but he's been the anchor of, uh, of that rotation. Now we'll see how far they can go. I, I don't know that they have the pitching staff to go, super far, but I, I, I felt like that was, uh, you know, the twins, the Braves and the A's were the three teams that I had to do. Um, and that was, you know, the, the Braves were the surprise and the twins were like, Oh yeah, that makes, that makes sense that they were so homegrown, uh, homegrown heavy, like you know, 60 some odd percent of their war came from their homegrown players and a lot of international players for them too. That's, you know, a lot of these other teams have been, Maybe were more draft focused in terms of their homegrown players, um, but the Twins and I'm looking at, at our handy dandy little graphic. I think had as much international influence as anybody. I was to say another team that was kind of extreme, uh, and then this anybody who watched the game last night knew this because they kept hammering on it, and rightfully so. You know, the Rays, 18 of their 25 players were acquired via trade. Now again, it wasn't like the, the you know, the, the, we're talking about the Braves. It wasn't like the Rays, who, who don't have money to spend, were trading prospects for veterans. It's more like they were acquiring players as prospects or, or young major leaguers who hadn't really kind of broken through yet. But 18, you know, when I think of the Rays, I would again think, you know, here's a team with a great farm system. They don't have money. They're going to have to develop their own talent. They only had five homegrown players on their roster. Now, you know, Blake Snell's one of those, you know, Brandon Lau, Kevin Kiermaier, those are pretty – you know, the, the, those guys have all contributed, but 18 of the players were acquired in trades. The, you know, the Chris Archer trade was kind of seemed one-sided at the time, as good as Chris Archer was and as nice as his contract was to get Austin Meadows, who's an all-star now, Tyler Glass now, and, and, and Shane Boz, who's out here in the fall league. You know, they got Tommy Pham. You know, they, they, they bought low on Tommy Pham, who's had a really nice year. You know, Willie Adamas is a guy who, wasn't necessarily a big name at the time, but was the key player in the David Price years ago. Um, so it was kind of interesting, both, you know, we, we talked about the A's too a little bit. You know, you think of the Rays and the A's who might be the two most financially unfortunate teams in Major League Baseball, and you think of them as being homegrown, and instead it's been a lot of creativity having to make trades. And again, it's not, hey, we're taking on big contracts, we're giving up prospects, but kind of looking for guys who are maybe undervalued by their previous organizations and, and turning that's why the Rays and A's have had a lot of success. Yeah. Yeah. No, as you said, more than many ways to, uh, to build a, a, a contending team. So um, curious to see how things transpired out that we're through the wild card games. Um, I feel like we've done this last couple of years where we, we give our, our predictions Um so let's 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 do it by league. Let's start in the American League. Who, who do you have coming out of the the division series? I I, I don't think I'm going to do anything shocking here, yeah. but I'm going to go with the Astros 
um, who I think have the best team in baseball and the Yankees who aren't far behind. And I don't think, I mean, obviously it's different players, but the Yankees have owned the twins in the playoffs and I think the twins will be more competitive, but I think ultimately the Yankees will prevail. So I, I have Astros and Yankees. How about you? I, uh, I also picked the Astros and I, I decided to pick the twins. I have no idea why. Um, just a hunch. Um, it was time for an upset. And then I have the Astros beating the twins and being uh, the American league representative in the world series. Again. Yeah. And I have the Astros going to the world series as well. So, okay. so who All do you right. have in the national league? All right. National league. Um, now I will say for the record, and I could provide a screenshot of my little bracket challenge. I did pick correctly, both the Rays and the Nationals winning the wild card game. So, you know, I don't, you know, I don't have to rip up my, it's not like March Madness where, you know, you lose your number, your number one seed and, and you're done already. But, um, I have the Dodgers beating the Nationals in one division series and the Braves beating the Cardinals and then the Dodgers beating the Braves. So we have a Dodgers Astros World Series. I have the same thing. I, I do think, I know they were a wild card team. I know they had to use both Scherzer and Strasburg in the wild card game, but the Nationals can come back with Patrick Corbin uh, in, in the opener against the Dodgers. I, I think even though they were a wild card team, I really think the Nationals, like, I, I would not be surprised if that series went five games. I think the Nationals, with that pitching staff and they have some talented hitters in their lineup, can give the Dodgers some trouble in that one. Um, and similarly, um, I, I think I think we're going to see two five-game series, but ultimately I, I'm with you. I think it's Dodgers versus Braves, and I have the Dodgers going to the World Series right. um, as well. So yeah. we, we, we both are picking a rematch of, of 2017. Yeah. Who do you have winning the World Series this time around? I went with the Astros again. I would go with the Astros also, and it, it, it's it's like the it, it's crazy, but like if that happens, Jonathan, does this Dodgers team? unfairly or fairly, I guess, get regarded as like the baseball version of the Buffalo Bills if they lose Ooh. in the World Series three years in a row? I don't think any team's ever lost in the World Series three years in a row, have they? I feel like if you if we went back to like the – I'd have to look, um, and I don't really want to right now, but like I feel like there must have been some stretches in the – during the Yankees' heydays like in the in the 50s where the Dodgers lost to them. That would be the only. I don't time. think three in a row, though. I, I, I don't think three in a row. I, I don't think they ever lost. Th- I don't think any teams ever lost three in a row. I, uh, you know what? I, I'm going to defer to you. You tend to be right about these sorts of things. Um, and I'm just going to scroll back to some postseason history uh, to see if I can find any any three in a row losers. I'm not seeing any. A lot of two in a row. How about like the Ty Cobb Tigers back? Like, in, like they didn't lose three in a row, did they? No. So, like, I'm looking right now what the time that I was thinking of. Like, the Dodgers lost in 52 and 53, and then won in 55 and lost in 56. Right? So, like, they lost in a 10-year period a lot. Really, from 47 through – 56 the Dodgers lost one two three four five times and won once it's crazy so they were in the World Series that's where the wait till next year thing really started in a lot of ways but they uh they lost they were in six World Series in that span but they lost five of them 
And Jonathan, I'm officially insane because I don't know why I can remember stuff I knew as a kid and not remember stuff from like a week ago. The only yeah. team to lose three World Series in a row was the Ty Cobb Tigers in 1907, 1908, and 1909. So um, well, I don't know why I remember that. Um, but that is the one. You're not right because the New York Giants lost in 11, 12, and 13. Oh, you're right. I'm, I'm, you're right. I, 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 mislook, I misread the chart I pulled up. But, yeah, so not since 106 years yeah. have we had a team lose three years in a row. And while Jim and I have been doing this a long time, neither of us were at the polo grounds to take in any of those games. Nope, not 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 at okay. all. So, all right. um, yeah. So, anyway, it'll be interesting. Like, I mean, the Dodgers, I mean, I think it's, it's obviously harder to get to the World Series now. It, you, you can't just have the best record in your league. You have to go through at least two rounds of playoffs. Yeah. Um, and, and to win three pennants in a row would be quite the accomplishment. But, I mean, we're, you know, unfortunately it seems it's all, you know, about the bottom line. And I do feel while that's a great accomplishment, uh, they're probably not going to be remembered well if the Dodgers, if, if we are correct and the Dodgers lose the World Series again, they probably won't be remembered as fondly as they should be, even though they'd be the first team in almost 20 years to win three straight pennants. Right. Last thing on this. Uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll switch gears and talk, you know, get back to our wheelhouse and talk Arizona Fall League. How crucial is it for Clayton Kershaw to have a good postseason? Um, well, I mean, to, to, in order to what? Who has arguably been the most consistently good starting pitcher in baseball over the last 11 years, 10 years, whatever yep. it is, right? He's been really, 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 really good. And then, you know, he's even had a handful of good postseason starts mixed in with some really bad ones or ones that on the surface look bad, but you you look and he really only threw one bad pitch, but he still ended up giving up three or four runs in the wrong time. You know what I mean? So uh, there is that he's now he has this reputation and it's not small sample size. The guy's got 152 postseason innings. Does he have to? just dominate a couple of times in the postseason to sort of put some of that behind him? I'm going to say no. I mean, last year he pitched, you know, until the World Series, and obviously the World Series matters, but, I mean, he was great against the Braves in the division series, and, you know, he had, a, you know, a, a crucial win in, a start, in game five against the Brewers, came up big, and then came in and, and pitched the end of the game in the finale too. So, I mean, until the World mm-hmm. Series – kind of rewriting that postseason legacy a little bit. I think even if if Clayton Kershaw gets, you know, knocked around or not knocked around, but like you said, just been more kind of average-ish in the postseason again, it's still not going to detract from – I still think we're going to remember him as the best pitcher of his generation. He may not have that – I mean, he's had some postseason moments. He doesn't have that championship moment. But, I mean, the guy for – 10 years has been one of the best pitchers in baseball. I think he's still a Hall of Famer. So it would be a nice cherry on top. But I think even if he, you know, his postseason ERA ERA is around 4-3, even if he pitches like that again this year, I still think, at least personally, I'm going to remember him as an easy first ballot Hall of Famer and the best pitcher in baseball over the last decade. Yeah, I think that's right. And people tend to put so much import and obviously there are obvious reasons in, in the, 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 the postseason lack of performances. I, I think, um, 
you know, like, I don't think he's like, you know, people like, like to say that he's, you know, there's, he's choking or whatever, you know, whatever it is. I, I, I don't, I don't see that as a, as really the issue. Um, but I do think that um, if he, if he could put that behind him, I think it would be like for him to, if they get to the world series and he puts out a, you know, and has a, uh, a really strong, dominant start you know it beats verlander or something like that then that will sort of it, it's an exclamation point or a cherry on top as you put it all right yeah and then i was gonna say jonathan i think you know i mean kershaw's reputation in the game is, is is not just as a great pitcher but as a great guy he does a lot of charitable stuff i think there's yes, a lot true. of people in baseball who would be very happy to see him have that moment that they would they would love to see that moment and right. and he's not in the same caliber as Kershaw, like, I don't think this guy will be a Hall of Famer, but I mean, you had the same questions about David Price going into last year, and Price came up big for the Red Sox. So, so maybe it happens for Kershaw. I mean, he's not Pete Kershaw, you know. I, mean, I think you have to manage his innings more carefully these days, but you know, still, a, a, you know, one of the best pitchers in baseball, and it would be kind of neat to see him have that moment. Yep, absolutely. Okay, let's uh, switch gears uh, since you are in Arizona. And uh, we were all covering the Arizona Fall League. Um, you know, I was out there for the opening week uh, running around, and uh, you're out there now. And Mike Rosenbaum was in there in between, and I'll be back out uh, in a little over a week. You, so, you may not be you know, welcome, Jonathan. Jonathan, you may not be welcome because uh-oh. if I'm Joe Adele, I don't want to see you again because when you were here – Joe Adele, one for 24, which was shocking. Yeah. You know, one of the prospects in baseball. I, I My first two days here, I was covering games with Joe Adele. I've seen him get five hits, two doubles, home run, and a, a steal, I think a couple walks. So I'm not sure Joe Adele wants you back in Arizona, Jonathan. You know, I understand that, especially since uh, he was the first video he was the first video interview he did. And because, I mean, you've talked to him. Um it's probably the longest video interview uh, I did just because uh, he is much fun uh, to, to, to talk to. I'm glad to see him getting going. I actually, ironically, don't think I saw him in a game when I was there. So I'm hoping that creates some, some buffer. Um, maybe not. Wishful thinking. You'll have um, to like if he does not perform well your first day back, you may have to lay low so he doesn't see you. So, yeah, he's. It turns out he's pretty good. Um, anybody else who's really stood out? Uh, either the guys that you you know from guys like that that you sort of expect to surprises of guys who have looked really good. Um, you know, only been here two. I've, I've seen four games. You know, I saw Jared Kelnick play twice. You know, his first action after having his wisdom teeth out. Um, he got a key hit the first game I played him. I mean, he looked good. I was more struck. Did, did you interview Kelnick when you, when you did the Mariners interview? I don't remember. No, because he wasn't back from oh, the right. wisdom team. Thing. Exactly. So, um, but anyway, what, what struck me about him is, and rightfully so, but he might be the most confident player in the league. Not that I've talked to everybody, but I mean, you're talking about a guy who, you know, had a 2020 season. You know, got the double A this year, you know, in his first full year in pro ball. Uh, you know, I think he's 
I'm not even sure if he's 20 yet. Um, he may have turned 20. Again, yeah, he, I'm sorry. He did turn 20 during the se- during the summer. Yeah. Um, you know, he and he has a stated goal. He he's not shy about saying it. He wants to be in the big leagues next year. I, I shouldn't even say wants. I think it's almost yeah. like he expects. He he plans on being in Seattle next year. And it was funny because I mean, you, you do these interviews. And you're always asking guys, "What are you working on? You know, what do you need to get better at?" And I asked him, you know, what do you think? you need to do, you know, to take that final step. I mean, you, you, you played well in double A for a month. You're in the fall league. What do you need to work on? And, and he said, and it, it, it's the old, you know, I wouldn't even call it cocky. I would just say extreme confidence. He said, mm-hmm. basically, I don't think it's any of my skills because I think my skills speak for themselves. I think it's basically just the mental aspect and learning how to deal with adversity and failure when it comes. And I was thinking, you know, okay. you don't usually hear a 20 year old kid say that. And, and it wasn't even bragging, but he just said, I don't think it's physical ability. I think it's just going to be, you know, learning to deal with failure when it, when it happens. And he hasn't really had to yeah. deal with it yet either. I talked to him in spring training and he hadn't even, you know, he hadn't even really gotten started. He had had a solid summer debut and then was with a new organization and that threw him for a little bit of a loop. But I, 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 I sense that confidence too. I think he does a very nice job of, of carrying himself like that and voicing it without it coming across as, as arrogance or being overly cocky. And uh, it's interesting because in, in a much different way, I mean, Julio Rodriguez also carries himself with that kind of confidence. Um, I think the two of them are going to be very good for each other as they continue. Yeah, to- no, I think- too. And they're both going to get the out pretty quickly. And, and you're right, because there wasn't – I mean, he, he just kind of said it matter-of-factly. And it was – he was – it was more he was answering my question rather than bragging. But, you know, he just – you know, they, they, I was it was interesting. He said it was – it was killing him a little bit because he I, – I talked to him. Like, I thought he had the wisdom teeth out before he got here. And apparently that wasn't – he apparently had the wisdom teeth out here the second he was here. And – he felt like he could have come back sooner. Like he missed pretty much the first two weeks of the season, I think the first nine games or so. And he loves baseball. I mean, the, the, he he's all about baseball. And he said it was really bothering because his body felt great. And the way he put it was along the lines of uh, the only thing that didn't feel good was his mouth, and you don't need your mouth for baseball. But yet the uh, the Mariners wanted did not want him to come back and I guess get dry socket or – or, or you know, you know, start to feel bad and have to get shut down again. So the Mariners took it really slow, and he said he he lost five pounds initially, and he's not. I mean, he's not slender, but he's not a, a big strapping guy. So he said he was down to one ninety three, which was least he'd been at in a while. So he used his downtime to basically work out a ton and put on the weight, the put on the five or six pounds he lost. But he put him back on before he got back on the field. But he was he was just really happy to to get on the field. And and the best pitcher I've seen in the first two days would be Tanner Houck with the Red Sox, uh, another first round pick like Adele, like um, Kelnick. Um, And Houck matched, I think it was Forrest Whitley and Daniel Lynch had struck out eight in a game. You guys are not pitching a lot of innings down here yet. They kind of ramp up the starters. Most of the starters are going four innings by this point. And Whitley and Daniel Lynch had struck out eight. And Tanner Houck matched that yesterday with eight strikeouts in four innings, six on his slider. He was really commanding the slider very well, locating well. That's his best pitch. 
um, in pairing it with his sinker. And Tanner Houck looked pretty good yesterday. And he, we talked, he had kind of a weird year where, you know, he's, he's always been a starter. He was drafted as a starter, starting double A this year. And then as the Red Sox were trying to figure out, you know, are we contending? Are we not contending? We need bullpen help. They promoted him to triple A and made him a full-time reliever. And now he's back getting ramped back up as a starter, which he will be going forward. So we talked about that, but, um, his slider looked really, really good yesterday. But, uh, you know, through two days, definitely Joe Adele. Uh, if you had not seen Joe Adele play before, I, I had. And we're wondering, hey, why is this guy one of the best prospects in baseball? It, it certainly has been on display the last two nights. Uh, we're glad to see him get going. Just like I was, I've was, i been very happy to see uh, Royce Lewis uh, swinging the bat with a little more confidence. I'm still a little you – know, this is – crazy small sample size but he struggled in 2019 with his plate discipline uh and pitch recognition uh you know swinging at balls out of the zone and that's what he's working on and it's still like i mean three walks 10 strikeouts in 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 eight games it's the 31 at bats it's not great but he's also got three doubles and three homers so um I'm, you know i, I think he, i feel like he's kind of getting his groove back a little bit while playing all over the field, which has sort of been interesting. Um, when I was out, you know, we made that ridiculous catch in, in center field. Um, wow. Well, uh, when was that? Was that opening week or the second week? I don't even remember when that was, but then he homered his next at bat. So I was kind of, he was showing off everything, even though he had really never played center field much before. So um, I want to see Vidal Brujan play. I've never really, I've never seen him. He, he seems to be off to a solid start for Salt River as well. That's a guy that I've kind of circled on my hope to see, I guess, maybe at the Fall Stars game uh, if, he, if he makes it. And I haven't seen him yet either because I haven't seen, I, I saw the same four teams right. both days. So I've not seen Salt River or Scottsdale to this point. So I'm looking forward to seeing him also. He, he's got two home runs. You know, power's not really his game, you know, he's got two home runs early on down here. So he, he'd be on my short list of guys I'm looking forward to seeing. And of course, you know, with the, the kind of up and down year, crazy year that Forrest Whitley had kind of, you know, he's pitched well out here again, just like he did last fall. I'm looking forward to seeing him and seeing how good his stuff looks. Uh, so hopefully I'll run into one of his starts uh, coming up. Yeah. Um, before we get to uh, your interviews with Owen Miller and Brandon Wagner, uh, and we'll close, we'll close up with that. You know, one of the things, you know, we, we, we spend so much time focusing on the sort of the top guys. Um, but there are often really interesting stories, the sort of guys who are really under the radar. Um, and sometimes they're on the top 30. Sometimes they're not even on the top 30. You know, we're just finishing up uh, our, our fall league overviews. And so we write up each guy and we learn something. So uh, for me, the guy you know, that's kind of stood out to me, who's like really under the radar, is at, uh, this guy Ashton Godot. Um, and I'm not waiting for him. How that, how's Very that nice. for a literary reference for you? His name is not spelled that way at all. I may be mispronouncing his name. It may be Godot, but the joke is better this way. Um, but this is a guy who was... Drafted by the Royals in the 27th round back in 2012 um, out of junior college. Same junior Traded college to the Mariners. Pools, Jonathan. Same junior college as Albert Pujols. 
Oh, so even better. Um, was traded to the Mariners right before the, the 2018 season. Went through that season and then signed as a minor league free agent. Which, you know, for for people who don't know, that's after six years in the minor leagues. <clears throat> he relieved early, then he was being given a chance to start, and he pitched really well in Double A, but missed two months um, with a hand injury. He's pitching out of the bullpen in the fall league. The Rockies have already resigned him to a minor league deal based on on what he he showed, and in the fall league. He's gone twice. He's given up one hit in five innings and struck out seven without walking a hitter. So, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe he ends up in the Rockies' bullpen when all is said and done. But this is a guy who, I mean, this is as close to coming out of nowhere as you're, you're going to get in the Arizona Fall League. And he's 27. Um, so, obviously, on the older end of, of the spectrum for, for the Fall League. But uh, what about you, Jim? You have a sort of that – kind of under the radar, good backstory kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, one of the more interesting backstories, I got Sam pitching the other day, is, is Marshall Kosowski in the Dodgers system. And he's on their prospects list. I, I do that list. He's number 27. He's a reliever, and we both know we don't put relievers generally too high in lists, and they're a deep system. But he has had, like, a, a, a kind of a crazy backstory. He, he, he began his college career. He was a JUCO guy, too. He's at Panola, Texas Junior College. As a freshman – and he transferred to Houston and you know, was going to get a chance to pitch D1 ball, make a name for himself. And before he even got on the mound for Houston, he got rear-ended in a high-speed car accident, was, was seriously injured, you know, head injury, you know, gallbladder surgery, and barely pitched the next two years um, you, you know, when he was coming back from that. And so you know, he's going again ready. You know, he's, he's a junior. He's not drafted. He was going to his senior year. He really hasn't got much exposure. He, he winds up going to the Northwoods League, which is one of the better summer leagues uh, in college baseball. And, ha- and he's pitcher of the year, and he decides, okay, I'm going to transfer. He transfers to Division II West Texas A&M because he's going to get the chance to pitch more and hopefully be seen. And he winds up leading Division II in strikeouts and strikeout rate in 2017 and becomes the, the highest pick in their history, uh, 13th rounder, signs with the Dodgers, and it, 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 from a, a prospect standpoint, he's, he's, he's fascinating because he – I don't know if we have a way to – if anybody has the data. But he probably throws as many – the highest percentage of fastballs as just about anybody in the minors. Um, he's got a, a kind of an over-the-top delivery, kind of remind, similar to what Josh Collimenter had, Jonathan. And it seems like the ball's coming out of his ear and it's over the top. And the ball just seems to rise at the plate. Uh, he throws 91-97 and guys just don't hit his fastball. Uh, 2018, he led minor league relievers with 111 strikeouts and averaged 15.4 strikeouts per nine. This year, he had some kind of minor injuries and only pitched 29 innings in Double A, but he struck out 46 guys. Um, and I, I think he'll. He, he's, I mean, I don't. He'll have to perform when he gets there. But I think this is a guy who probably gets a chance with the Dodgers uh, next year at some point because um, all he does is go out and miss bats. You know, he he tries to mix in a curveball and change up a little bit. But that fastball, he'll throw it 75, 80 percent of the time, and guys just haven't hit it so far. Yeah, good stuff. I mean, and, and it's it's funny because some of those guys, especially the relief pitchers in the fall league, it's hard to like make sure you're paying attention, um, just because so many pitchers come out. It's late in the game. You're working on a story at that point, or you're talking to scouts. Like, it, it, yeah, you you have to sort of circle a guy like that to make sure you're paying attention uh, when you get to see him. It's not like oh, Royce Lewis is in the lineup. 
I'm going to get to see four at-bats from him. So it's always fun. All right. So, you know, as much uh, as much as we all enjoy going to the Fall League to watch these guys play, uh, I know you and I both um, enjoy being able to talk to these guys. Uh, and, you know, I, uh, beating a – I feel like it's a, a, it's a tired record at this point that we talk about how, you know, great these guys are in terms of to interview and that their media skills are so much better than they used to be and all that kind of thing. But you had a chance to uh, to chat with a couple of different prospects. I hear from Owen Miller, who's a, a second baseman in the Potters system, who, uh, you know, was drafted in 2018, spent the whole year in double A. Uh, you know, he's in the fall league, obviously. And it's interesting. He comes from Illinois state. There's kind of some similarities to his background and, and Paul DeYoung's background as kind of a, uh, an infielder who came out of the Redbirds program, who is better, I think, than people realized, and, and may get to the big leagues pretty quickly. Right, and that will uh, that will do it for for Jim Callis, uh, myself, Jonathan Mayo. It may just be the two of us next week. Uh, Jordan Schusterman may have some more postseason uh, duties uh, ahead of him, but uh, we'll play that part by ear. But enjoy these interviews, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Okay, so Owen, uh, here in the Arizona Fall League after your first full season in professional baseball, was this something you hoped to take part in this year? Was it a goal coming into the year at all for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I knew it was possible. Uh, they mentioned some things about it, uh, you know, during the offseason and spring training. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely something to work for uh, or work towards. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I found out a couple months ago that I would be coming here, and, uh, you know, I was really excited for it. Are you at all surprised at how quick things have gone for you so far in pro ball? I mean, not too many guys begin their first full pro season in double-A or even get to double-A. You spent the whole year there. Now you're in the fall league. You know, you pretty much hit the ground running and, and haven't stopped. Has it been a little quicker than you expected? or? Um, I mean, no, not really. I mean, I just kind of tried to uh, use the same approach I did in college, um, just, you know, trying to stay positive every day, uh, using the same approach at the plate, in the field, everything. Show up, show up to the ballpark with a positive, uh, positive attitude every day. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I can't thank the Padres enough for, uh, you know, advancing me quickly and uh, giving me the opportunity to start in double-A this year. It seems like in the fall league they're having you spend most of your time at second base. Is that one of the emphasis for you? I know you, you played some second during the season, also played a lot of short, but is that one of the things you're focusing on down here? Uh, yeah, like, you know, uh, at the end of the year I, I played a lot of second base. Um, you know, that definitely that's something they just kind of told me, like, hey, we really want you to work on that. Uh, so it's been a fun process just working with our infield coaches and uh, working on it more here in the fall league. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the transition's gone pretty well. Um, you know, this is my first year over there, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely been good, and, uh, you know, I hope to look uh, to keep to working at it. What else do they have you uh, working on? Did they, give, did, you give, did they give you other specific things they want you to work on, Any anything offensively? or? Um, no, not really. I mean, just keeping the, keeping the same approach, um, you know, having good at-bats, putting, uh, you know, swinging at strikes, driving the ball, um, just simple things like that, um, just kind of carrying over to – you know what I did this year and uh, you know just to keep getting stronger keep getting better every day and uh, you know just just keep playing what um, in terms of uh, the pitching down here how, how comparable is it to what you saw in double A is it pretty comparable or yeah I would I would definitely say it was pretty comparable uh, we definitely saw some good arms in the Texas League this year uh, a lot of a lot of back-end guys in the bullpen um, you know who, who went up to the majors and stuff um, but yeah I mean there's a lot we've faced some good arms here too um, but yeah I mean just as a whole guys are you know, once you get older and you keep moving up, guys start throwing harder and they just, you know, locate better and have better off speed. If you were a, if you were a scout and you were asked to describe Owen Miller as a player, how would you break yourself down? 
Um, you know, the guy that works hard and is consistent. Um, you know, I can play multiple positions. Um, you know, and I, I would say I've always consistently been able to hit the ball well. Um, you know, line drive hitter and stuff like that. I'll, I'll give you good at bats, and um, I mean, you know, I'll do whatever I can to help the team win. What do you think is your best tool if you were grading yourself? Um, probably my hitting tool. Um, you know, it's something I, I work at a lot, and uh, you know, it, I, I try to have good at bats. You know, especially in Double A this year and against good competition. But yeah, I think it's just the more you see it, the more you see good pitching, and. Uh, you know, just just keep just keep working at it. So, you know, coming out of Illinois State as a middle infielder who's who's maybe uh, surprised or put himself on the map offensively and showed maybe more defensive skills than people realized he had. I guess you get compared to Paul DeYoung yeah. a little bit. Did mm -hmm. uh, but you guys didn't overlap, right? He he graduated. He got drafted the year before you started playing there. Is that right? right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you so ever he, work out with him back at Illinois State, or do you ever have you ever met him? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. We uh, we actually have the same agent. Okay. Um, so I met him uh, right when I was a freshman in college. Um, he just got drafted that year before, but I heard many stories about him and um, you know when he played at Illinois State, and it was really cool just when I was in college to see him progress through the minors, and uh, it's been unbelievable to see what he's done the last couple years for the Cardinals and. Um, you know, congratulations to him with, you know, they just uh, made the playoffs this year and, um, you know, he had a good year. But, yeah, it's definitely been cool and it's, it's someone, it's nice to have someone like that who's in a similar situation and, uh, you know, he just pretty much went through the same thing that I did um, and, and uh, you know, just learned new positions and stuff like that in, in the infield and, and uh, you know, just he worked hard and it's pretty cool to see what he, what he did. I know it hasn't happened yet, but have you thought at all about how much fun it might be to hit in El Paso next year with the AAA baseballs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've heard stories. Uh, Amarillo was pretty good to, to hit in this year, um, so I don't know how much better he can get than that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard stories about the balls and, uh, you know, just how the ball flies in that league. But, um, you know, I still got to work hard and, and uh, have a good offseason, good spring training and everything, and uh, I'm excited to, you know, play there next year. What's it like to be part of, you know, the farm system that a lot of people still think is the best in baseball organization with a lot of young talent? I mean, I guess on one hand that's exciting. On another hand, you look to San Diego and you see Machado at third and Tatis at short and Urias at second. Is that daunting at all, or do you just have to put that out of your mind and do the best you can do and what happens, happens? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, just to talk about our farm system, it's been cool <clears throat> since day one just to see a lot of guys different um, – you know, guys that get drafted, and, and uh, a lot of guys have, you know, been become really good ball players. So it's cool to come to spring training and, and instructs last year and just play with a bunch of these guys and see a lot of these guys uh, who made their big league debuts this year. And um, it definitely, you know, makes me think about the future and, and st stuff like that. But um, yeah, as far as like guys, guys ahead, I mean, it, you know, you can't really think about that, especially being a baseball player. You know, there's uh, there's all spots open and stuff like that. You know, you, you know, if you hit and you play and you produce, um, you know, the team's got to find a spot for you. Who's the best pitcher you faced? Not necessarily in the fall league, but in pro ball. Who do you think is the best pitcher you faced? Uh, this year, uh, we faced Dustin May um, <laughs> at the end of at the end of his run in Tulsa, and uh, he pitched like seven innings. I, I think maybe gave up two hits, and, and he was he was good that, that game. That's uh, a pretty it, unique sinker. I mean, yeah, uh, just his, I mean, just the fact that he th could throw four pitches like that, just for strikes at all times, and the movement he had, and just with his velocity, is definitely uncomfortable at best. Okay. Well, thanks a lot.